Yo, this is Hanging with Apes, an Audio Apes podcast. Real talk, real topics, no limits. Audio Apes, music with no boundaries. What's up, everybody? I'm K Cartoon. I'm Rx Phonics. We are the Audio Apes, and you are officially Hanging with Apes. Today, we have something very special for you. We have, drum roll, Miss Alicia Swizz in the house. A um, little introduction. Uh, is uh, She's a professor, performer, and full-time feminist. Alicia draws from her personal experience and academic training to facilitate conversations about gender, sex, and feminism through humor, candid observation, and being really smart. She teaches media, pop culture, gender studies at Harold Washington College, and she is the creator of Slut Talk, a conversation that raises awareness of slut shaming and encourages sex positivity through performances, workshops, public dialogues, and social media. Follow her at Alicia Go or Pop Goes Alicia, mm-hmm. and then also underscore Slut Talk underscore yeah. at Twitter. Awesome. Do it now. And we already know. stole slut talk yep. from me. <laughs> oh, man. Did you ever take time to look into who oh, I Oh, it's a porn site. Oh, the- <laughs> you know it is. You know it is. <laughs> you, you know, it's funny because the, the same thing, the same exact thing happened to us when, when we try to get uh, our domain name. We, we ended up going with Audio Apes Music because as it turns out, just audioapes.com. Some porn site owns that. Remember, yeah, like, well, and why? they still own it after like what four or five years. They still no, own and it. We emailed them. Remember, we emailed them and said, "Hey, how much would it cost for us?" And it was like five, like five thousand dollars. Oh, when they find out you want it, like yeah. forget it. I just left it alone. I was like, "In the sluttalk.com is super outdated. I don't. E- I mean, I don't even think it's operating. Uh-huh. But whatever." Uh-huh. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself, aside from what he said and. The brief intro. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, well, I teach at one of the city colleges here in Chicago, Harold Washington, which, shout out, great school, great students. I teach in the humanities department, and the classes I teach are an intro to media class and an intro to pop culture. And my background is um, women's and gender studies, which is basically looking at the theoretical and the historical context of how like gender has affected our culture. Um, a lot of people ask me like what is that (laughs) you know and so I choose to um, teach my classes by inviting my students to look at media and you know the pop culture landscape through the lens of gender you know teaching them to think critically and use the media outlets as a site for understanding themselves the world we live in in as it pertains to men and women and these like identities and then um, I do a little bit of stand-up I do a little bit of storytelling like true storytelling I do some freelance writing for just different, you know, national outlets. And um, Slut Talk is the newest project, really because I'm just – can I curse? Do we curse uh, on the show? Absolutely. Right, do thank it. God. All right. Absolutely. Now I can relax. But um, I just got fucking sick and tired. Like, I'm 38 years old, and every single election, every single – issue since I started getting involved in women's rights has always had to do something with like slut shaming with sex with the way like you know the patriarchy is trying to control women's bodies and I'm just fucking tired of it so I kind of slut talk just kind of came to me because I was asked to speak at slut walk which is the national movement that came out of the Toronto Constable a couple years ago, basically told this girl she was, like, dressed like a slut, and that's why she got assaulted, (laughs) you know. I mean, it's not the first time. Yeah. So after speaking at that slut walk, I I was like, you know, 
this needs to be more of a conversation, not just like a once a year, like March, which is great. And activism is great, but we need to keep having these dialogues. And then, you know, if you were paying attention, 2016 was kind of like the year of slut shaming when it comes to like high school girls and dress codes. And like you're fucking interrupting young women's education because some horny 13 year old boy can't handle her in her leggings. Like, that is not my problem. Yeah. That is not the 13 year old girl's yeah, problem. Yeah, I, I read stories like that yeah, where yeah. like they're, they so sent, many. Her, sent certain female students out of the class because of the way they were dressed and whatnot. And, and then I think it was one situation where like the class was incredibly like warm and she just. She didn't get naked or anything, but she had like took off uh, her her initial covering, like her cardigan, yeah, or something. And, it, and it was like you know just a regular shirt on under it, but maybe her shoulders were a little exposed or whatever the case. Oh my god, a- how dare she have a fucking body? <laughs> like, or, or there was that one, that one teacher, remember, who was like real cur- like curvy. Yeah. And and they were saying, oh, well, you, she shouldn't. She, why is she dressed like that? Like, but, she, but to me, she was dressed pretty normal. I mean, you know, it was. I mean, she had curves. I mean, how do you hide those? What do you wear a box? And then, well, that's but, exactly the point. And yeah. that's what all this like. I mean, and that's an adult woman, right? So like that you're shaming an adult woman who's already proven herself as worthy, incredible. You hired her to teach people, you know. And but like with these girls, and you see it a lot. The body type has everything to do with it. And then when you bring body type into it, a lot of times you're bringing race into it, right? Because black and brown women tend to be more curvaceous, more fuller figured. So you have like you know, a skinny white girl in her leggings, nobody's saying shit to. And then you got, you know, a black girl with big boobs and maybe a big booty, and she's wearing the same outfit. It, yeah. it It's constant, you know? Yeah. I mean, even it would happen to a white girl with the same body type, but, you yeah. know, that's just kind of one of the ways we see these kind of intersections. And again, yeah, you're basically shaming a girl for just, like, existing. Just right. for, like, right. having her body. Yeah. Right. And, uh, well, today, that that's kind of, like, going to be the theme today. Uh, this is the first time ever we're going to have a debate, which is which is awesome. Civil debate on feminism. And I feel that, you know, it's going to be a pretty pretty cool conversation. Now, an informed back and forth, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An informed back and forth. A debate. Ding, ding, ding. That's just like, no. But, I mean, I'd like to start with... It's 2016. Obviously, feminism has evolved from back back in the day to now. So this new wave feminism, what is it exactly? What is, what, how would you define feminism today, 2016? Both of you. So whoever wants to start. Yeah. So that's a great question. And one of the things that uh, can be challenging about feminism is it is a bit subjective. You know, different people are going to have different relationships to it. There's divides with the movement that go back to the first wave, which was the right to vote, you know, and a lot of like black women being like, yeah, this isn't really for us because like we're not getting a right to vote, you know, so like thanks white women, like have fun with that. So that, you know, that's just kind of the beginning of where some of the like complicated ideas and we're seeing a lot of that come up again now with like some of these race intersections. But um, my definition of feminism has always lived in the right to choose, just choose anything just for me to like make choices and for women to for all people, really, for because it, it liberates men as well. These like gender roles are very constricting. But so for me, it really lives in the right to choose you know, make your life choices and to have access to safe and comfortable choices, you know. And then secondly, for me, because I am a woman, because I'm a white woman, I'm a straight white woman, you know, I have to identify all those things and kind of point out 
these are my experiences. This is where it lives for me. I am very invested in, like, women and girls specifically. Like, Mm -hmm. feminism is not just for women by any means. But for me, and in this era right now, before we kind of start moving to these, like, post-gender, post-race dialogues, it's like, no, no, no. First, we need to be like, women are important. We value their contribution no matter what it is, just as much as we value what men are contributing. Um, So, yeah, I think in 2016, we're really – we're really – becoming a lot more open to these fluid intersectional definitions of feminism and I think um, comedy actually and performance is a huge a site really like ripe for that you know I kind of have said before that comedy is like the next wave of feminism because we're seeing a lot more women's voices we're seeing a lot more like people of colors voices we're seeing comedy that pushes the envelope more than it ever has before um so that, I think, you know, finding that it's really important in this modern era that feminism is, like, living in all these different sites, you know, and yeah. so. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that was, that was a great sure. question. Yeah, or a great answer. Great. Uh, what, what's your take on it? No, yeah, I, uh, I, I see a lot of what she's saying, absolutely. But I feel like there's also, like, this, this aspect of it that, you know, you're, you're starting to see more and more where it's, like, in in the name of feminism and maybe it's you know these these certain activists that are maybe a little bit misguided or misinformed where uh-huh. there's where it's going as, as extreme as like you know wanting to limit free speech mm-hmm. or the ideas of oh well because you're a man you can't say this or even even in some cases like because you're a straight white man like right. you you shouldn't participate in this or you shouldn't have any say so about that when ultimately a lot of these things end up also affecting these people. And then just the fact that, you know, I feel like everybody, everybody, just like some, everybody has a freedom of expression also exists the the freedom of criticism. Like myself being, being a rapper, I understand that rap is not everybody's cup of tea. Sure. Like not everybody, you know, enjoys rap or even finds anything intellectual about it and and that's fine that's their prerogative and and they're entitled to that so i would i would never seek to like i guess say you know shut those people up so i i guess i my rebuttal to what you're saying is ultimately i agree with most of what you're saying but how do you feel about those i guess certain sections Mm -hmm. of feminism that sort of seek to undermine you know freedom of speech and and stuff like that Well, I think freedom of speech is really tricky, and it's one of those, like, scapegoat rights that people exploit, take advantage of, and, like, cower behind. And so one thing we have to remember is women had no participation in creating these laws, these amendments, these ideas. Same with people of color, you know? So my go-to is always, like, I didn't fucking make these laws. I didn't make these rules, so why do I got to follow them? You know what I mean? Like, so, and one thing, my response to this kind of the point you brought up in Maybe we could talk about a specific example, but the overall idea of, like, men being alienated from the conversation or, like, just, like, telling men to, like, shut up and listen, we have to remember that feminism is a response to patriarchy, and we still live in the patriarchy. Men, specifically white men, dominate every single solitary outlet in this country. Thank you for taking my uh, my second question, by the way. <laughs> well, which was the next thing, which is, uh, do we live in a patriarch- or patriarchal oh, that's, society? That's not up for debate. Yeah. That's not, no, that's not a debatable question. Like, whether you want to, like, 
whether you want to debate like how influential the patriarchy is and if whether, you know, but a patriarchy is a male dominated society. You can't argue that about America. And the simplest answer to that question is our presidents. We've never had a woman leader. So patriarchy equals male led. We've never had a woman leader. We're a patriarchy. End of discussion. Um, but, but do you feel like there's you you do see, feel like there's strides forward? And I mean, we almost had a, a female president just. And I guess that's another thing. Do you feel like because of the patriarchy, Hillary Clinton wasn't elected? Or a hundred percent, really, <laughs> hands down. Okay, so going back to just the one question, one right. like feminism is a response to women being systematically like disenfranchised from the country they live in when we still have to fight for rights to safe accessible health care i.e abortion that like that right there hands down so to say men to it's not that we're leaving men out of the conversation you have to think of it as kind of like the pendulum swinging right and it was all the way over here for a really long time and it's never going to swing all the way over here we're never going to be like all girls you know matriarchy we're just not so we're trying to just get it to like hover in the middle in order to do that I mean, this is, like, the best example on a systemic level is, like, affirmative action, right? Affirmative action is not fucking racist. It's creating a space to find balance for a group of people that continuously had been left out. And so we're already at a, like, lower starting point. Same thing for women. So in this space of, say, something like comedy or, like, fucking hip-hop, you know? You have to create the spaces for the people that have been left out of it. And you also have to remember these spaces, comedy, hip-hop, completely normalized as masculine spaces. When you think hip-hop, you don't fucking shut your eyes and picture a girl. You know, you're picturing, I mean. For the most part. For the 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 most part. For the most part. Like, I teach a whole segment on hip-hop in my class. There's not a lot of examples of, especially mainstream hip-hop, because you'll see labels will have, like, one female artist at a time. There's billions of dudes. You're talking about a female president that we didn't have. We're talking 44 men. You know, one does not a revolution make. One black president doesn't mean we're not racist anymore. Right. I mean, I I definitely agree that that racism still exists. And and I believe that, you know, misogyny still exists. But I just don't know if I necessarily agree on an institutional or like systemic level. You know, for instance, like you mentioned affirmative action. And there's a lot of economists that feel like affirmative action has actually held back a lot of like African-American people because because of affirmative action quotas and and, you know, diversity quotas. There's certain uh, black, you know, men or women that are getting admitted to certain colleges and they might not necessarily be qualified for that particular college, whereas they would be fully qualified for a, a college of a different degree. And now it's like you're kind of creating the, the the stigma of a of a failure when initially if it would have just been, well, you know, what do you know? What's your merit? What's your value? Right. And then and then you you raise you raise yourself through there. And then like another thing that I know uh, that was like real big in terms of in terms of like racial inequality and stuff like that recently was this um, this big time uh, CNN money report that came out that said how like the average white family's wealth ranges between like a hundred and forty three thousand dollars and a hundred and fifty thousand dollars and then like the average black family's wealth was like if i'm not mistaken like fifteen thousand dollars 
and then the Hispanic family was like eighteen thousand yeah. dollars. And you know these 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 stats and and this report is getting regurgitated a lot. But the thing is, when you look at it in in like the white communities, especially at a, at an early age, you're seeing more and more that they're teaching their kids about good credit. You know the banking industry yeah. and how you know the financial system works. And then you're seeing that in the Hispanic and black communities, this is not happening. They're teaching their kids how to not get killed. Right. You, you know, well, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but that's I'm, the I mean, privilege but, but, side of it. Like, when you have the luxury to teach your kids about, like, go to college and get a bank account. And, like, that's, you know, right. that's one of the privileges of whiteness in this country. Even, I mean, even lower class. I mean, there's, I mean, the intersections can, we could debate for days all the different kind right. of. But, layers to it, but but like I, I guess like you know what you said about like you know they're they're teaching their kids not not how to get killed. That's also that's also a cultural thing because I mean I grew up in the inner city. I went to public school, grew up in the hood, and all of that stuff. But at the same time, it's as a family or as, just as an individual, you choose what you ultimately ultimately value so for instance if you're if within you know these communities they're glorifying you know the the bandit or the or the robber or or the thief or oh you got away with this oh man that's cool joe all right all right i see you i see you it's like it kind of sets a precedent where it's like well you have to really analyze and observe the world around you and look at look at what what's successful about certain cultures even if it's different from your own and i feel like especially especially like i'm I'm seeing sort of a lot of hypocrisy with a lot of rappers nowadays because these are guys that i grew up looking up to and not looking up to because they glorified violence or glorified misogyny or you know talked about oh i got all these bitches and this and that not necessarily that but just the idea of this person coming from a place that was similar Mm -hmm. to where i'm from and they're they're now involved in business. Right. They're talking about the ambition that it required to to get there, sure. and, and then also then also in turn a lot of times you know glorifying violence. And and part of me liked it. Part of me liked to hear you know the the fuck the police and and all all this different stuff. But still, there was just like an intrinsic value in what they were saying and who these people were. But then when you see the politicians that are kind of sort of promoting the same thing, you know, well, you don't need to rely on the government and you don't need to do do what what this particular set of politicians want you to do. You could be self-sufficient and, and believe in yourself and not look at yourself as, I guess, what, you know, a victim, if you will, then then these things are attainable. These things are achievable. But I see the hypocrisy because it's like they're not supporting these movements. Right. Well, and part of the issue with what you said, you mentioned the word merit. We do not live in a merit-based society, but we like to tell people that we do. The American dream is anyone can come here and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and build a new life for themselves. But we have all these informal and actual rules in place that limit that. But we keep, especially with like the marginalized individuals, we keep selling them this idea so they keep investing in this idea. And at the end of the day, the disparities are all still there. So, you know, it's just you're talking race yeah. specifically, but same with like feminism and like yeah. these these systematic like injustices are an example of that is like just something like rape and rape culture and the way we don't really attend to that in this culture as a woman and like 90% of rapes happen 
are perpetrated by men, even when women aren't the victims. Men, even when men are right, the victims, are usually right. perpetrated by other men. You know, now, so would you say, that's a gendered issue. Yeah, and that's, well, the core of that is gender. And the my next question is along those same lines. You guys were talking about at this point privilege. So I was saying is, uh, well, gender privilege uh, is a real is a real topic. Sure. And uh, who would you guys say is benefiting from it? Is it men or or women? Um, so, I mean, like looking into, I mean, because th- there's, well, I'll let you guys answer it from there. Yeah. I'll let well, you guys. Personally, I believe, and just off of observation and then like what we know about society, I think, I think privilege is a real thing, but I don't think it's specific towards men. Just like I don't think privilege is just specific towards white people. Like you hear the term a lot, white privilege, but if, if a white, guy in in a in a expensive three-piece suit is walking down inglewood let me tell you he is not privileged he's probably going to get robbed and and stuck up so i think privilege is circumstantial and also a matter of like the space that you're in and i'll give you an example like for instance you hear a lot you hear a lot about like uh you know that women don't have as empowering roles in in like media or movies as like certain men but then if and that's that is that is true, like way more men, way more men, you know, are you see way more men as superheroes, comic book characters and whatever. And and you're seeing more and more like empowered female. Characters. Last year, women compromised less than 30 percent of speaking roles in the top grossing Hollywood films. Right. And, and, and that's just last year. Right. And, and so you see you see it in, in spaces like this. But then when you look at like society as a whole, when you look at in terms of in terms of. Out of the 5,000 work-related deaths a year, about 98% of them are men. You look at stuff like when it comes to divorce and like alimony and child support, those those areas favor women a lot more. Even in, in disputes with police, like if there's a domestic battery report oh, and, and the police have to and the police have to like show up, they're automatically going to take the guy away. And no, reg- they're not. That's yeah, so ab- inaccurate. Absolutely. That is so ridiculously a- a- inaccurate ab- and infactual. No, that is not true at all. That is 100% completely inaccurate. For one thing, domestic violence is still hugely underreported. It's hard enough to even get a restraining order. If the police even show up at your fucking door, the chances that they're taking the guy away are not 100%. And nine times out of ten... The woman is the one calling on the guy. So to to you're kind of creating right. this split divide to suggest that like domestic violence happens in a way where men aren't perpetrating it, that women do it just as often. That's just not true. It's just not true. Well, what what I'm saying is when when a report gets made, it it autom- your police are automatically going to look at the man as the perpetrator. They they never look at the woman, even though you're seeing more and more reports come out that men are also experiencing domestic violence, not necessarily at the same rates as females, but you're you're seeing that it's happening. And then also what I find a little bit interesting about these these numbers that get thrown out sometimes is like these underreported numbers. Like they say that with with when it comes to rape and they also say when it comes to like domestic violence, this is underreported, that is underreported. But these are just like v- really vague estimates that are left up to anybody because if something is underreported how how is you know okay. it's not it's not 
Yes, but it can re- be like research isn't a statistics. vague estimate. Like hmm? research isn't a vague estimate. You know, so there are people out there collecting data to the best of their ability. So when you say it's a vague estimate, the vagueness about it is that the numbers are way more high than what's being reported. And so just to even get into this debate, like this is the kind of stuff that really fires me up because you're you're being a little bit anecdotal, which means like you're thinking of like examples, like one example and not looking at this like collective pattern that has dominated our culture since its in existence. Like the way the devaluing of women, the, the power dynamic between men and women is so deeply embedded and so old school like developed that it's normalized, you know. So to say something like – Domestic violence, like, we still think it's okay for men to hit women. Like, you're not going to look at me and say that or say that people are going to think it. This fucking Ohio goddamn senator who was the one who passed the heartbeat bill that's saying after six weeks, six weeks, most women don't even know they're fucking pregnant by the time, by six weeks. This guy, his wife accused him of domestic violence. And, you know, his damn quote was like, oh, she overreacted. Girls do that. Quote, girls do that. So we normalize this idea. This is where you go into, like, gender roles, right? And people don't really like to think about gender roles because we like to think boys will be boys and girls will be girls. And that's just the way God made us, you know, not true, you know. So, like, when we get into this idea around, like, gender roles and this idea that men are supposed to be strong and dominant, women are supposed to be, like, submissive and caretaking, you know. So when a man acts that way, women are – that's a normalized behavior, you know. And so when you look at something like, say, like, domestic violence and who gets called more more often policemen or men, right? right? And then they come to somebody's house and they make this assessment about what's going on outside of just – I mean, we see this all the time with these cops just fucking killing people left and right. This is a personal mentality that – you have to get through to that. Like, so you're saying you feel it's the the it's a cultural, it's more of a cultural issue more. Than- Gender is socially constructed, and that's something people have a hard time with. So your biology tells you if you're male or female, just like fucking plants, right? Male, female, XXXY, and your genitalia mat- usually matches that, right? And in America, we do we have what's called a binary gender system. We have no gray area. I mean, it's coming out that gray area exists and some very brave individuals are living in that space. But collectively, overall, men, women, vagina, penis, period, right? Well, that's biology, okay? So that's sex. That's what we define as sex. You're born, the doctor sees something, they decide. Your parents decide. That's where this whole idea of, like, transgender is coming in. Someone says, you have a penis, you're a boy, and inside you, you're like, nah, I'm a girl, and I know this, right? So that's where the social comes from because what happens is you have the biology, and then we create these norms around the biology. like, And so much of that is heteronormative, right? Men and women. So much of it is rooted in the Bible. Adam and Eve, you guys know that story? Women women aren't even real. We've been created out of some dude's fucking rib and then what, we've ruined everything because we wanted to like take a bite of knowledge? That literal mindset still exists today. How dare you want more? Like how dare you want to be president? How dare you have a career and not have kids? How dare you fucking have sex? Like literally that all. So that's what I mean by like Systemically, You know, so we don't live in a culture that on a whole values women. And we also don't live in a culture that values people of color or just other fucking cultures. We live in a culture that still values 
the white male model for success. Now, does that model does mean other people enact it? Sure. I mean, we all saw American Gangster, right? We all know about Frank White. What do he do? Just go back into his community and start acting like a white dude, got his money, and that's capitalism. And capitalism is really at the core of it because the way, think about it, think about hip-hop, think about the things you do. The way we define success is how much money have you made? How many albums did you sell? How many, you know what I mean? And that's a big part of the thing we have to deconstruct too, you know? And like in something like hip-hop, I mean, I show, I don't know if you've ever seen Beyond Beats and Rhymes, awesome documentary from 2006, 10 years old, still super relevant. And they talk about one thing I always urge people to remember, right? And again, around this place of privilege and going back to like gender privilege. Does gender privilege exist? Sure. But that looks like, the way gender privilege looks like for me is usually someone discounting me. And then I get to like go in there and be like, gotcha, I'm smart. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. that was my gender privilege, you know. But so from the perspective of like, say something like looking at like, say hip hop, right? One, we have to remember there are six media outlets in this country. Six. That's it. Every single fucking media thing you think you know that's so diverse, no, no, no. One of the bigger guys own them, and you know who the CEOs are? White dudes. Literally. This is not an exaggeration. I show a PowerPoint in my class. So, and then if you look at media across all boards, the statistic literally came out last year. The Women's Media Center every year does a huge comprehensive report. 65% of all media you consume across the board is created by white men. So... You have to think about that. It's the way white men perceive the world. Now, do white men have the potential to be, like, educated, open-minded, to invite other stories in to create these spaces? Fuck yes. Are they doing it? Here and there, you know, because we live in a – they see a success model. You know, Hollywood saying, oh, your last movie made billions. We don't give a shit if there was a rape scene. We don't give a shit if it was sexist and racist. It made this much money. You get to make another movie. But if if the idea of, like, white men and the patriarchy was was, uh, so so strong and so real – well, I mean, one thing that I know, like the Western world and the United States gets criticized heavily for is slavery. But slavery right. isn't unique to the United States. What is unique to the, the United States is the abolition of slavery, which was white men choosing. I mean, half of the population obviously agreed and choose to do it at a time at in a time when it wasn't women couldn't vote. So it wasn't like there, it was their vote that that like. But was do you guys, what happened for it? It was, it was, it was those particular white men, and then also now, like you're seeing, you're seeing the the whole the whole gender pay gap, yeah. uh, you know, tightening up, and it, not necessarily, not necessarily because because of um, of uh, you know any outside influences, but just because just the natural progression of economics, no. where women are being are being it's better better educated. Women, women are are getting better jobs right now, which goes back to the whole male privilege thing. They're in more women are enrolled in colleges now. They're graduating yeah, at higher but rates. But that's women's choice, and all we did was give them access. So women did all that work. All we did was go, hey, guess what? You can go to college now. You know, and it took a really same with people of color. You know, and it took a really long time, and so. 
the idea is that, and to bring it back to slavery, one, slavery has not been abolished in this country. How, Sorry, how on paper it has, on paper it has, on paper it has, but you want to you want to talk to some undocumented workers, you want to talk to some people working, and you want to talk to some of my nanny friends, you want to talk to some bartenders, I know, like, but you know what I'm saying, like, and after you know what happened after we freed the slaves has anyone watched 13th there's a documentary on netflix right now that will tell you everything what happened after we freed the slaves they became criminals and so this idea that we're we did this thing on paper that just magically made everything go away it's just not true you know and and those black men that we freed mostly went to jail kids and rebuilt the south and we are still like living with all these effects of that. Well, not Same with not, e- not immediately. Also, we're talking way too much about race and not about women. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it, it's so, it's so well, I have to like, I have to switch you guys because you're no, talking about privilege. I was like gender privilege. To some degree, it's related. No, it's because, all related because like yeah, yeah. like with the whole issue of like intersectional feminism, it's the idea. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the idea <laughs> of like you know feminism but then also like there's the other disadvantages if you will that kind of meet yes. at an intersection and then that creates the idea of intersectional feminism yes. so if you're if you're a white male so you got the whiteness and the maleness so that's two privileges if you're a white female you got the disadvantage of a, of a female but the advantage of being white but then if you're a black female you got like the double oh you're d- at the bottom of the totem pole huh? <laughs> or Total Bowl is a terrible example to use because we know native women are really at the bottom. Oh, right? the, the, so pardon that. You, slip. You, no pun you, intended. You, you, just, no. you just marginalize the whole. No, I'm I just know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, it happened. We're all racist and sexist. We're American. I mean, or we live here. But but that that's another thing. That's another thing that I guess I guess it. Uh, I I feel I feel like is is relevant and and they do connect because the, you mentioned the Thirteenth, which is the mm-hmm. that documentary on Netflix. I did watch it. But the thing I feel like in that narrative they're missing they're missing a lot of a lot of things that took place. It wasn't that it wasn't that just automatically from the abolition of slavery like these people automatically became became uh criminals or you know indoctrinated to become criminals. What happened was what happened was and this this is the stuff that you don't see in these type of documentaries. That uh, we we were just briefly interrupted by somebody yeah. in the wrong room. <laughs> Some guy just came but in. Anyway, I'm by a white dude. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I feel I should mention. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Not another <laughs> conversation. Another event in which we've been held back by the white man. <laughs> no, no, but um, but in in there you you see that um, well you don't see that after slavery. A lot of a lot of blacks and African Americans they became very prominent in in capitalism in business building. Sure. Actually, the first the first uh, woman that was a millionaire was a black woman based off of hair products, and she and you want to talk about What's feminism? Her name? I don't know. I would have to look it up, but but I, I remember I remember reading about this, and she actually paid her husband a million dollars to like leave leave her because he was like I guess too busybody and he actually ended up leaving her and I, I'd have to look up the name <laughs> she paid but, but but not that's just one example but you have but examples it, but of like exactly Fre- Fred, Frederick Douglass uh, Frederick Douglass and, and that was of a woman but I'm saying like you see all of these these black innovators that you know from Frederick Douglass to to you know how they innovated different things in the north in terms of in terms of innovation with factories in terms of agriculture and and 
utilizing the freedom that they had in the north to become more prominent. But then what happens is when Roosevelt gets in office, he gets in office and then he creates the New Deal and, you know, puts all, all these these social programs. And then also in a, in a lot of ways enables households where men are no longer a, po- a part of because if, you know, they're lacking and they need help. Well, the government is going to step in and do the job of the man due to, you know, whether it's it's uh, it's a link or, you know, Section 8 housing or whatever. It doesn't the the left side of the spectrum politically doesn't encourage the family unit. And by diminishing the family unit, which you see a lot in Hispanic communities and in black communities, you're seeing as a result of that, they're not having the same success as other cultures. And that's why I meant by earlier by we have to look at things from a perspective of analyzing and looking at what works and what doesn't work. I know, you know, colonialism and we're, we're staying on the issue of race, but this is a very interesting uh, back and forth. The issue of colonialism is is so is so prevalent and people say, oh, you know, how it was bad and how is this and it was that. And sure, there was a lot of bad things that came from it, but also what came from it were economic transition belts that turned, if you look at historically certain countries that were colonized and 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 maintained certain certain roots and certain elements of that colonization from like the economic perspective, the political perspective, they ended up being successful places. Like South Africa, for example, for instance, a thriving country, and then you they compare- like just abolished apartheid there, like right, national right. racism, and, right. like and what, absolutely. like five years ago, right. like- absolutely. Like race, race plays a part of it. Just like today, racism still exists, but like I said, not on an institutional level, not to the point where like you're going to be held back by by your race. And I feel like it I does. Just, I totally disagree. With I that. feel and like I it does a disservice. It does a disservice to people. Even even with gender, it, it sort of does a disservice when you tell somebody, "Well, you're going to be held back by this," but that's, that's and, and you're that's, not going to be able to do what. But you But that's needed. a really dangerous thing to say because you're basically saying we're not going to ask people to think critically. We're not going to ask people to be aware of these systemic challenges that exist. We're going to just tell them to put on a fucking happy face, to keep working hard, to keep giving back, and you'll get there. And that's just not true. So I think part of I hear what you're saying. I, it corrects me if I'm wrong. Part of what I hear what you're saying, even going back to the gender thing around like men not being able to speak up is like kind of like if you're someone who maybe wants to make these changes and is a supportive or maybe an ally, like where is your place in this as a man per se, you know, and there is a space for that. But it's also you're it feels like you're kind of saying like when we when we talk about these race criticisms or we talk about these gender criticisms, it, there's kind of this focus on negativity. Right. And so like, yeah, Absolutely. so like, let's just say like, you know, or like women. Right. If we're if we're constantly just talking about like how women are getting raped every six seconds, you know, or about how women are making less money than men or women, you know, it feels like, oh, like nothing gets better. Right. It's just also terrible tough like you have to fucking deal with that you have to deal with that shitty and still do your work and still show up every day and and like for me you know like I make crap money as an educator right I still I'm 38 years old I've been a bartender for 20 years that's been my most stable career because people fucking love booze (laughs) they don't love feminism you know and I literally like this is the air I breathe and I mean I can't even think about what it would be like if I was also a woman of color and how that would compound it, you know. So I do my best to, you know, 
be empathic and give space to those dialogues, but to also be like, here's my experience and here's what is an important part of it. And a huge thing that I think I don't it's it's a struggle because my students struggle with this, too. But like you have to acknowledge and get comfortable with the fact that you're a part of the problem. We all are like one of my favorite, um, you know, feminist theory quotes is by Audre Lorde, who is a black lesbian woman, you know, activist and poet. And she has a great essay. And this quote is the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And she's basically saying you can't deconstruct the patriarchy with the tools the patriarchy gave you. And I like totally agree with that. And that's certainly like the vision for the future and the revolution. But we're fucking living in that house. How do you de- how do you take the roof off the house you're living in and still have a roof over your head? So I just really try to really get my students, the people I talk to, to remember like it's fucking okay. You know, like you you can listen to your misogynistic hip hop and like shake your ass and be into it and still know in your head like this is really misogynistic, you know? And a lot of people are, it's really uncomfortable. So this is where I think it lives. And especially as an artist, like my job is not to make you comfortable. My job as an educator is not to make you comfortable. It's not to fucking stroke your hand and tell you it's going to be all right. My job is to make you think. And my job is to get you to like live in a more like evolved headspace. It's really hard to do, and it's really hard to do in our individual lives. I mean, I'm sure you guys have all been dealing with this as well, but look at this post-election. I mean, so many of the conversations everyone's having or were having was like, how are you going to talk to your family at Thanksgiving? You know, how are you going to sit there with your, like, racist uncle or and sometimes in your case, maybe it's your dad or your mom and be like – And I think for women specifically, we've been living in these uncomfortable spaces. We exist in those spaces. Like, I'm going to walk out of this door and walk to the train and get catcalled. It's going to happen. You know what I mean? And, like, kind of going back to, like, what you were saying about the, like, white guy walking through Inglewood. That rich white guy ain't walking through Inglewood. Like, and he has that option because motherfucker can afford an Uber. So that's really the conversation is who has access, who has the ability to be in spaces, you know, like you look at someone like Trayvon Martin, like, right? Somebody thought he did not have a right to be walking down that street. And to say like in like a black community, you'd see a white guy in the same thing. I'm not saying it wouldn't happen, but the consequences for deviating outside of say like gender or race rules are so much more um, violent and fatal for people of color and women than they are for white men collectively this is like my boyfriend's white like I have I I hang out with white dudes you know it's not right and when I say white dude and a lot of white dudes don't like this I mean even my brother read an article I wrote recently and he was like you kind of said white dude a lot and it felt like an insult and I was like yeah I meant it as that you know it's this structure right it's this ideology of whiteness that we're only just starting to talk about because whiteness used to be this invisible thing this norm that we never even had to identify because we shoved all the color out of the country you know so white just was and that's something we have to keep antagonizing. And we do have to look at how gender plays into that, too. Because even, like, with slut talk, you know? Like, I've had, when I have performers that don't always identify with slut, because, you know, slut isn't always a word in different, you know, like, um, Latina cultures or black cultures, you know? we have, But we have words for what we think about women who behave with their bodies certain ways. Yeah. Right. You know? right. Yeah, now, one thing that you, the, that you mentioned, and you can start on this, so you can have your turn on, is... Uh, 
Today, one of the feminist movement's most prevalent issues is rape culture, which you just mentioned. Is this issue blown out of proportion? Is it real? What are the factors that contribute to this issue? Uh, it, is not, it. it is not blown out of proportion. It is not blown up enough. The idea that rape now has culture on the end of it means we're finally actually attending it to it in the way we should. Rape has always been a tactic of war. This goes back to the fucking crusade. I mean, this is the oldest trick in the book, right? Raping and pillaging. You go into, and it's also the oldest trick in the book is divide and conquer, right? You know, because if you can sit here as a man and think being a man is more important, right? Like, we're never going to be on the same team, even though as a person of color and as a woman, we both feel oppression just in different ways, right? Mm -hmm. So this idea of, like, raping and pillaging has always been, and it's it's rooted in this old school gender idea that is for men, women are these like trophies, these prizes, this this thing to get, right? Um, and so when you want to like hurt men, you go and hurt the women, right? That's how it destroys them, you know? Like think of like like Braveheart, right? That movie opens with like his wife's throat getting slit mm-hmm. and like that. And think of like so many hero stories are motivated by saving the princess or the like, um, what's the word? Like fighting back because of the virtue stolen, you know? And that all lives in this idea of women are valued for being sexual objects, not beings. Because if I was valued as a sexual being, people would be asking me, like, how I like to have sex. And slut wouldn't even be a word, you know? Rape culture wouldn't even be a thing because we wouldn't have to, like, steal this virtuous thing. We wouldn't have to, like, dominate women in that way. But that also goes into how we define men and masculinity. Like, one of these – Jackson Katz is a great uh, male feminist scholar who has a um, formidable essay that just – basically argues that masculinity is equated with violence. Not that men are inherently violent, but our definition of masculinity always includes violence. So you look at hip-hop. You look at just Hollywood movies. You look at the fucking media. You know, you look at all the sports that dominate our country. So rape culture, no. Not blown out of proportion. Um, Donald Trump is the president. You think that guy's never raped anyone? There's no fucking way I believe that. Are you kidding me? I'll say it right now. You can come and get me, Donnie. Let's go. Let's do this. I'm ready. I'm gonna get you. It's gonna be huge. You guys, just it's gonna I be mean, huge. I'm gonna go get it. It's gonna be huge. Like one of the single most examples of rape culture that is the easiest go to is from last year, Brock Turner. So one, he got convicted. Amazing. We don't ever even fucking convict racists, rapists, or racists. We don't convict them either. So we sent this guy to jail. We actually said, yes, you did this. And then you guys know how long his sentence was? Yeah, it was like a few months or something. Three months. Yeah. Three months. Three months. And if you look at that case and you're going to tell me that that isn't motherfucking white privilege and rape culture. Now, we let black guys get away with it too. If you want to talk about Nate Parker and... You know, and that's that was a huge hot button issue. And the divide, the race divide there is black women going, fuck, you know, like even if I feel like this guy did this wrong thing against women, I kind of have to protect the black man because they're already and that I mean, that's an old debate that I'm not the scholar for either. But that's where some of the intersections come in. And then you see women continually deferring their, you know, gender devaluement for the sake of, say, race in that place. Or a lot of women, like these women who voted for Trump, 
the the statistic is they voted on party. So, like, not that that's an excuse, like, why the fuck are you a Republican? But the pattern was more, we vote for party. So these are women that aren't even pausing to go, does this candidate respect me? Does And they're also women that see themselves in a patriarchal viewpoint. And they're okay with that, right? They're like, no, I, I, I'm okay with the fact that my value lies in my husband. I think that's, like, heartbreaking. But it's also, you know, for some people like that, you yeah. can't free yourself in that way. That's the safety for them. Now, do I agree with it? Hell no. Am I going to drive my van right into those cities and talk to those ladies? Hell yes, I am. <laughs> Sadly, I mean, like. And what? And what's your uh, take on? Oh uh, yeah. So my take on it, because I she she touched on three different things that I, I thought that I thought were pretty interesting uh, in terms of masculinity and right. then the rape culture, which mm-hmm. was your initial question, and then women who voted for Trump. Um, I I feel well I don't feel I know you know rape obviously does exist I don't know if I'd say it's a culture of rape I don't I don't see men normalizing rape if anything I feel like I feel like <laughs> Have for, you ever been to an open mic? <laughs> well like to 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 say that men normalize rape though like in 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 a serious sense well, I mean What do you mean by normalize okay, rape? Okay, Let's okay, make sure we're okay, having the same so, conversation. Uh, absolutely. So for instance for instance I don't see men ever ever in in large groups or you know groups of friends saying that rape is okay or like yeah i would i would totally rape her so you don't in your personal experience right in in my personal experience but but that doesn't mean these conversations don't happen uh, all the time right but you're not also you're not seeing stat wise you're not seeing that happen and then even when you come to these numbers like on on college campuses and like the amount of women that'll be sexually assaulted you know the one in four statistic that gets thrown out there the one in five statistic that gets thrown out there a lot of times with even how that that whole study got developed by Mary Cause was she was like a, a prominent feminist. She worked for the Center for Disease Control and all of that. It came through a series of 10 questions in, in survey form. And if you look at those 10 questions, like you could go online and look at it. Five of the questions actually include consent. So like this idea that and and I'll give you an example. For instance, I mean, you're talking about one research study, so it, this isn't no, the only right, but this research is, this study. Is the, you're talking this about is the one, one example. This is the one that the like the feminists hail as the gold standard because this is how they they're getting to the one in four statistic and the one in five statistic from Mary Cause and her research. There's a lot of other stuff, but the stuff out there, the other stuff out there, actually is sort of is showing that it's more like one in you know four hundred or one in. 100 and something but the one that like you're getting this one in four number one in five number is from her study when she was with the cdc and the actual official number from like the department of justice is more like it's i believe it's one in 164 but anyway anyway and even that even that is kind of skewed because a lot of what they're asking like one of the questions and 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 i'll i'll, I'll, I I'll just, let you i do I'll have a you, question I, for I, you though right let me just finish and I'll, I'll let you ask so like for instance one of the questions is have you ever had sex with a man after you were offered drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. so pretty much almost every man that has ever taken a woman out on a date and has bought her a drink if she accepted and later on slept with that man like they would fall under that category of having been considered sexually assaulted and so 
if you look at a lot of this data, especially that particular study, it's it's so misleading. And and so to say that it's it's a rape culture, and then also also like another like really prominent story right now, or it was I don't know if it's as prominent now because she kind of got into some slander trouble for it. Was the whole Lena Dunham story? In, from oh, her memoir. Fuck Lena Dunham. Uh, I, I agree. Yeah, we're totally. not talking about her. <laughs> I agree, but... Yeah, oh. we can come back to her, her white privilege <laughs> but, 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 you know, that her, her story was, like, hailed as, like, she was this hero of, like, this rape survivor and all of that. But even in her own memoir, she says... She says how she doesn't even truly remember how everything took place. And she admits to, like, doing drugs and alcohol and inviting the guy in this is- and sleeping with him. And she considered it rape because there was no condom. Right. Right. And I know I know that's one particular case. But these are the cases that, like, people are hailing as the sort of gold standard these- to, pr- to solidify their points. These are the cases that are getting mainstream media attention. Right. Let, let's, let's just go back to who controls the media. Right, so but if no, the no, patriarchy no. controlled it, they wouldn't put any stories out about rape culture. Like if 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 the patriarch that's and kind of going back a little bit, but if the patriarchy was this all and powerful entity, why would they put anything out that sort of dismantles their image? Because we do still live; we're in a democracy to the best of our ability. So there is a certain allowances of freedoms here. We're talking about such a deeply ingrained ideology. So this is so much, patriarchy is so much bigger and we're not the only patriarchal nation, you know? And patriarchy is defined as just male male rule. It doesn't have to be so fucking sexist. Like men could care about women. Men could be ruling and doing it in a much more empathic and egalitarian way. That could happen, you know? But like going back to what you're saying, I want to... I thought about this earlier when you were talking about kind of the activists and who's... You have to remember who the media is asking about feminism, right? They're sure not a shit asking me. They're not asking scholars. They're asking fucking actresses who probably don't know shit about feminism. They know about their individual experiences as women, you know? And the other thing is, like, like just kind of going back to what you said around, like, this idea of, like, the statistics. Like, again, this is all rooted in... This idea of consent goes back. We have to restructure the entire way we look at relationships. Okay, I'll give you an example from media, right? You guys familiar with Gone with the Wind? Yes. Terribly racist movie that everyone loves. Um, (laughs) So Gone with the Wind is hailed, let's say, as one of the most romantic films of all time. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Whether you think it is or not. Right. I personally don't, but I agree agree totally So this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these bigger pictures. I don't give a fuck what you think. This is what I say to my students. No one cares what your favorite movie is, right? right? I don't care what you think is the most romantic movie. Look at every list ever made, right? And again, who constructs them? But still, that's what we're working with. So Gone with the Wind, is we can agree, is like collectively cited as one of the most romantic movies of all times. And the, the the big scene is, you know, he lifts her up and carries her up the staircase. It is a rape scene. It is a rape scene. Right before that, she says no or says something, like hits him, and he just picks her up, carries her up the stairs. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, I can't believe we've been hailing this as our one of our most romantic things. And so that's just an example of how embedded in, again, heteronormative relationships. I, I mean, and I'm sure that there's plenty of violence in non, 
hetero relationships too, but I can't speak to that as a straight person, you know. So this idea of relationships between what men and women and what romance looks like and what courtship looks like is rooted in men taking and women being taken. You know, you ask your average like guy, girl, you know, girls girls gonna tell you like, I don't want a guy to ask if he can kiss me. You know what I mean? And it gets really tricky in these informal relationships where, like, we're buddies, right? Like, we get up at the end of this and you go to, like, give me a hug. You're not probably not going to ask me if you can hug me, right? You right. know what I mean? But there's this informal acceptance that Absolutely. you can feel. Yeah, because then life would just be weird. Because <laughs> also, like, in the legal in the legal aspect of things, this thing, like, as like uh, implied consent, where it's like, it's like if, if, like, you have a wife or a girlfriend or whatever and, you know, you're pretty much used to, like, holding her, grabbing on her without asking – and then if one day she just ups and decides to say, oh, well, I was sexually assaulted. Well, it was like, well, I mean, we've been living together. twenty. So the courts would look at it from a legal scope and be like, well, I mean. Right. But again, it's that's, understandable all, that's why all he thought rooted he w- in he this, this thing. I mean, women, marriage used to be property. Women, you married a woman to own her. That was like legal. So those, again, ideologies, while that may not be on paper anymore, we still have that mindset. And then we're America, this melting pot of other cultures. There are other cultures way more misogynistic than us. And those guys come over here and make families and raise their kids out. You know, so it does keep rebuilding itself. But so this, and again, it's instilled in this gender idea, this idea that women are this, men are this, you know, so you have to deconstruct that. And so the reason we say like rape culture is because we don't we don't prosecute the perpetrators the right way we don't hold them accountable we don't believe women when they say they're raped we victim blame the narratives are always around what were you wearing what did you drink what did you do and that's why some of the research asks that not always to just like set up this idea of consent as well she was drunk so she can't consent but also to just find the patterns you know find all these patterns and so drinking is hugely connected to sexual assault and I'll tell you like I'm having real conversations with like students I just did a slut talk with teens where real 15 16 year old girls were telling me about rape parties at their school where boys like talk about inviting girls over getting them drunk and raping them like they're having those conversations and there's so many contributions to that. And when you're thinking about, like, fucking 13-year-old boy who doesn't know shit, you know, and maybe, right. like, if you watch that film, Audrey and Daisy, they talk a lot about, like, social media and, like, porn culture. And that's a lot what I teach, like, media literacy, right, and getting people to understand, like, what happens on the screen is not a representation. I mean, it is, like, these things feed each other. But, like, if you're a young boy who started watching porn before you, like, ever had a relationship with a real woman, you're going to start seeing women as these porn images, the real women, you know? So then when you go to interact with them, you're not seeing them as your equal. You're not even seeing them as a person. You're seeing them as like an image and that's just real talk. And then when we see films where women are constantly being raped or we see like rapists not going away or like when we have these conversations, people go, yeah, but men get raped too. It's like, fine, but like we're not going to have the conversation about the one in a million when we need to be having the conversation about what realistically is more like one in one. (laughs) Not even one in four. Like, And the question I was going to ask you when we were talking before and you were kind of questioning some of this is, how many women have you talked to in your life about sexual assault? Have you asked any of them if they've ever been assaulted? 
Yeah. And how I, many of them I, have? I, well, not necessarily asked, but I've talked to plenty because there have been different situations in my life where women have opened up and, you know, expressed that they, you know, might have been, you know, touched by an uncle or, or you know, just different, like really just gut-wrenching situations. But in in all of my life, out of all the women I've come across, I'd say maybe two that, like... That you know of. That's that what I, I'm that saying. That I know of, obviously. That's right, what that I'm I, saying. That like, I know so, of. So... But 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 this idea, like you know, with the whole rape culture thing, it's it's this idea that like when when it comes down to these these sort of situations, we ha- there's also a legal aspect to it, and that's one thing that yeah. I, but who 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 has all the power in the law? And like we're sitting well, here in the well, era but, of fucking but, Black Lives but, Matter, and you're right, going to tell me I mean, like the law but, but has it, any kind of validity? Well, it it does to a, to a, to a large part because, for I, instance, with a lot of like these situations, which this is a, a whole nother topic for another day, but a lot of these situations with like the Black Lives Matter and the things that they're getting, you know, upset about and uproarious about and protesting about, you're seeing that a, a lot of these shoots and these kills are justified. Like the one, the one in um, in uh, in Milwaukee, the guy the guy had a gun. Then you're seeing some. That like for instance, we did a podcast on the Alton Sterling case, and in that particular case, I told I and I I said on the actual podcast, I was like, they're not going to get charged because they gave the man five chances to comply. So when you're looking at things from a legal scope, sure, I get it, but I'm I'm gonna say that the law benefits the law, like I the law and the justice system is still. I mean, first for one thing. Our, our like prison system, for example, is a thousand percent non rehabilitative, right? America loves to punish people. Some of the worst countries in the world at least even let their criminal like you know. So like this this mindset of what we criminalize and how you know, and even if you hear like even when we talk about the prison system, so much of that narrative is about men. We're not even talking about the women in prison and what they're in jail for and why and the kind of sentences they're serving and they're having fucking babies in there and they can't get fucking tampons. You know, oh. they can't even, they don't even have like basic rights to their anatomy, you well, know? Well, while we're on the subject, that's another, <laughs> that's another like female privilege is lesser sentences. Lesser sentences. No, it's true though. They get, they Shots get, fired. They, they get, they, no, they get reduced sentences for the same crimes. So like you could, the last time. Listen, I need you to start citing some sources and specific okay, well, the, examples. All right, the, because... the, that one, that one is, is, is the official FBI statistic from 2011, which was the last collective data survey okay. that they did, and then also like with I mean with that the whole is rape culture, that's for sure like a gender culture. privilege. That's a like oh this poor little girl couldn't really get away with this, or we can't you know. But and, it's and just and then also like kind of um, going back to like the whole litigation of things and like the legal aspect of things. That's why like a lot of times it's not automatically that they that that police don't want to believe women or like law enforcement doesn't want to believe women but we do live in in a in a society where you're presumed innocent until proven guilty women are always assumed guilty women are not perceived as credible dude I'm a woman. You have to believe me when I tell you this. This is exactly <laughs> whoa, the point. Whoa, whoa, okay. Like, if I go right now, if I get raped right now or sexually assaulted or what, what the fuck ever happens to me walking down the street and I go to the cops and I walk in and I say I was raped, the first response is going to be to ask me about what my what I did. Right, well, but but and that's, that's part of that's part I mean, of yes, the developing part of the narrative the of the yes, litigation. To, to you have to know. You have certainly. to ask questions about it. Yes, but when 
when we collectively don't believe women, which is what happens, you know, and when we say, well, what were you wearing and what were you drinking and, what, and all these things, we're saying if you weren't doing any of these things, that might not have happened. And that's just not fucking true because rape, rape specifically is a crime of power. Power has nothing to fucking do with sex. A guy's not raping you because he wants to fuck you. He's raping you because he wants to put you in your fucking place. Or maybe he's got beef with your home, with your man, and he wants to prove something to him. You know, right? That's why I fucked your bitch. But, but a lot of y'all uh, listen uh, to hip hop. <laughs> a lot of this. A lot of this. Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> a lot of this idea of of how okay, like women, they say, oh well, we're not being believed. And I was recently watching this documentary called The Hunting Ground on. Uh, it was on Netflix. It was done by CNN Films or whatever. One of the examples that the girl, one of the girls in in that particular documentary gives, is really a matter of per, uh, perception because she says, "Oh, I wasn't believed, and I wasn't believed because they asked if I had said no or if I had resisted at all." Well, that's something that a defense attorney is going to is is going to poke and prod at. In the whole testimony aspect of the litigation, he's going to say, right, well, did you ever say job. no? Did you right. ever say no? Did you ever resist? So but- it's hard. It's hard to be found guilty by by a jury or by a judge if if ultimately, ultimately none of what's happening in the narrative is constituted. As rape, if, if, if you're showing that as Right, because we've never stopped to define rape and to say to men, why did you do this? This thing that you did is wrong. You know what you need to not do? When you look at that girl, stop thinking about what she fucking looks like naked. Why don't you look her in the fucking eye and ask her what she's studying? Why don't you have a goddamn conversation with her like she's a human being? Well, a- and that is and- the part that's rape culture. That's the part that's so deeply embedded in our society. And that happens on the most minute levels, like the simplest levels, like... And, and I mean, the thing is, like, guys, even good dudes, which I'm sure both of you are, you know, have to be Great. able to it. <laughs> you have to be able Amazing. to admit that you look at girls' asses sometimes. And it's okay. Like, right, no one's right, like, right. but that's like the little, like, that's the, like, normalized, like, objectifying, you know, kind of dehumanizing thing that men are taught to see women as sexual objects for their desires. Like, we teach you guys that. So you, evolved men, have to work on being like, I have to think differently than that. And that is something you have to do every single fucking day. And that's really hard. But there's also a natural biological aspect to it. I mean, like, men, the way the our, our biology and our nature is, is it's a sexual nature. And also women, we have, a, but, but we... We go about it in different ways. And for instance, it kind of reminded me about what you said previously about you'll leave here and like walk to the train and you're, there's a good chance you'll be catcalled. And I agree. Well, I said I'm going to get catcalled. Oh, you're cat going. You're, so you know it's going to happen. <laughs> Even in winter. <laughs> but you Someone's know, uh, it, I find that uh, pretty interesting because I'm sure you, you've seen that video of the, the girl walking through New York City mm-hmm. for 10 hours and how she gets catcalled. Mm-hmm. There's something that that's very interesting about that video that I feel like a lot of people aren't talking about. And that was if you notice throughout that whole video, only one white guy catcalls. Now, I'm not saying white guys don't catcall. But one thing that I know growing up in in the hood is catcalling a lot of times garners a response from women, maybe not necessarily women that are not from these neighborhoods, but it happens very often. So if if go, kind of coinciding with what you said, like it's it's a balanced thing. If women are responding positively in to some degree about this, 
then you can't necessarily totally blame men for doing it. Also, Y'all hear about also, that woman who said no to the guy on the train and he fucking sliced her in the face? Right. And oh, yeah, there, yeah, that's terrible. Right. Severe and, and, fucking no, consequences right. and, and that, for standing and that, up that's to all, it. That's all, like, that's smiling a, and laughing doesn't always mean you're enjoying it. It's a defense mechanism. I, you're protecting yourself. I, absolutely, absolutely. But just but just like just like that happens, you're all, you also see situations where where the girls, they'll get in the car. Like, he'll pull up and she'll get in the car and she'll be cool with it. I've seen growing up so many times certain men they'll approach a woman respectfully classy like a gentleman and she'll look at him like he's the lamest dude around so you're talking about gender roles again yes and we were talking about again this is what we teach women we teach women that you want a fucking man you want a dude that's going to protect you you want a dude that thinks you're sexy and this is how he's going to show it right at part of the problem right the part of the problem is we need more fluidity on that women need to feel like guys who fucking share their emotions are hot you know guys need to feel that women who are smarter or smart are hot you know like and this I and then going back to kind of the example you gave for me it's about like that woman who gets in the car like she has the choice to do that like she like we need to look at that and not judge her you know right like if she wants to get in the car she wants to be treated like that by a dude like if that works for her fine but at the end of the day if at any point she decides no I'm not interested I want out that needs to be respected. Absolutely. So the, the point is that's the conversation we're not having, right? And then we say to the woman, like, well, you were fucking naked in bed with the guy. You're not allowed to change your mind. And it's like, nah, actually I am, you know? And so, and then again, like this, again, the idea that, like, when women are complicit and that just allows us to, like, add the blame to them, right? Instead of going... Why are you being complicit? Like the one of the best examples for this is domestic violence, right? Like or uh, like literally like women living in abusive situations consistently. Because I have I haven't looked at the stats recently, but at least up until a couple of years ago, fifty percent of the homeless population were women and children fleeing abuse. So that's why you fucking stay, because the other option is to be homeless, and you got fucking kids that you can't live on the street with. So women literally martyr themselves they they become punching bags quite literally because that's the best option and because I can take it and you know and then this even goes back to like we're finally living in an era where women can like decide not to have babies and the more they restrict abortion the less we're gonna be like fucking dudes you know so like (laughs) you know like it's I totally agree with you. Like, it's so fucking complicated. There are all these overlaps. But I would, one thing I would urge you is to be really cautious of this idea of natural and the word natural and these things that are naturalized. Like, yes, become, things become naturalized, but it's not because it's inherently natural, right? We And even these glimpses of things that are natural and biological just completely get exacerbated by the cultural definitions, right? And then again, like, we, I 100% agree with you. Women are, you know, the word I use is complicit. They're a part of the problem. We're all a part of it. But it requires, A, like, really fucking honest conversations about gender, about saying to women, like, here's how you need to be empowered to feel good about yourself and to value yourself. And then you ask for that same value from a man. Tragically, women have to do all that work. We have to do the work first because men, that's where the privilege is. That's the trickiness about privilege is getting men specifically to be empathic, to put themselves in women's shoes, to think, what would it feel like if I was in this body? And I get it. That's a fucking tough sell. Like, how do I make you feel it? There is, there's, there's no swap. You know what I mean? Like, there really isn't. So, 
we're, we're what we really are doing is and this is another great like feminist quote from Gloria Steinem and she says our task is not to learn like your task isn't to learn necessarily about me but to unlearn all that you've learned like about yourself say and like masculinity or all that you've learned about these normative ways and like even if you had, you know, the most feminist mother who was, like, raising you all the right ways, you still go to school, you still watch movies, you still maybe play sports, listen listen to your hips hops, you know, like, <laughs> but, I mean, you have to, like, even the most, I mean, I have a master's degree in women's and gender studies, like, you think I didn't date fucking sexist, misogynist dudes? Oh, yeah, I sure did. They're fucking hot. Misogyny's hot. You know, I mean, we don't want to be that way, but it, just like you, you don't, you know, want to, I'm sure you've struggled with it. I mean, just being woke, as they call it, is, it's a struggle. Oh, it's I'm easier woke. to sleep. Oh, I'm woke. <laughs> no, but, um, I, well, obviously, to conclude this, um, <laughs> no, no, because we went over a lot of topics. We could have went over. We could probably go for another hour. I mean, this is a whole college. Course. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's 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 such a complicated issue, um, or or um, what do you call it? Like as a movement, it's just like you said, it's complicated. It's not like there's not just one right answer. Yeah. But feminism as a movement, obviously, it's gonna, it's here to stay. For the people listening to this episode of Hanging with Apes, what do you guys hope the audience gets out of this uh, conversation? I, for me, it's really all about, like again, the gender conversation and getting people to really see how masculinity and femininity has been defined and valued. You know, we've, we've defined an understanding of this is what a man is. You know, y'all know a Father's Day, fucking bacon and whiskey and all that dumb shit, you know? And whiskey. This, yeah. I mean, hi, I like whiskey too, but I'm a I'm a nasty woman, right? I'm a slut. So <laughs> but so for me it always comes back to gender and I think this is what's really hard for people because they wanna think it's like natural and normal, you know, or they and like for someone like me, like I fucking love being a girl. I'm all about like typical girl shit, like nail polish and fucking roller skating and unicorns and all that shit. You know, and I want people to remember that that is not less valuable than, like, me playing football, right? So, for me, my definition of feminism and what I would love readers to take or listeners to take away and think about is that, first of all, feminism is for everybody, like Bell Hook says. It's a liberation movement from us all of the structures of patriarchy that say you're only valuable if you act this way. And that applies to men and women across the board. And then to remind people that the value system, the inherent value system. So, like, you – we for an example is we don't really value motherhood in this country, right? We say we do, and we tell women you can't get an abortion, you have to have babies. But then we don't have, like, government-funded child care for working moms. We don't have – you know, there's not even fucking changing rooms. In, I worked at a restaurant this summer that didn't have a changing table in the women's oh. room. So what, women with babies just can't come to this restaurant? You just, you know, so for me, it's about looking at the choices women make and seeing them as valuable, you know, when they're made in a contributive way to society. You know, I mean, like, fuck Ann Coulter. Like, she can go die on an island. <laughs> um, what I hope that the listeners get from this is uh, obviously, for one, our, our willingness to display uh, views and beliefs that are different from our own. Um, but also the understanding, the understanding that n- the family structure and and certain things that people feel inherently good about and and want to continue to support 
is not wrong and right. just like just like you know a feminist may have the or does have the freedom of expression there's also you know the freedom of criticism and the freedom of of open dialogue sure and doing things completely inside of the box is not the right way but doing things completely outside of the box is not the right way either and so it's this this very uh this very tricky subject that we you know like she said earlier we kind of have to navigate and nobody has there's no one right answer to it but if you do have more traditional views and beliefs there's nothing wrong with that either yeah yeah, yeah i mean at the end of the day it, it's uh what also makes you happy as a person right and what works for you and your family yeah, and if and what whatever. makes you happy as a person isn't oppressing someone else yeah. i would argue like you know like it you there are a lot of terrible things that make people happy as a person. That I'm oh, not gonna, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Add, I mean, as... I don't want to know what Donald Trump, what makes him happy. You know what I mean? Like, I'm good <laughs> with not having him be happy ever. <laughs> <laughs> with that note, the end. And I'm just playing. No, well, uh, ladies and gents, this concludes our uh, civil debate or conversation on feminism. I would like to thank Miss Swizz. Thank you. I would thank like you very to much. Thank also K Cartoon for you guys uh, having such a juicy debate, <laughs> a juicy conversation. Uh, and uh, well, yeah, you know where to follow her. It's uh, Pop Goes Alicia. Yep. On Twitter and Instagram because mm-hmm. I just Instagrammed you and I was like, oh, Hell she's yeah. there too. I and, love Instagram. Yep. And then yeah. underscore uh, Slut Talk underscore also. So um, and then well, you guys already know where to find us, Audio Apes, and every social media. So Twitter, Instagram, music.com. Yep. And uh, Hanging with Apes on Twitter and Instagram or Twitter only. So, uh, yeah. Peace. Find us. This was fun. Thanks so much. <laughs> no, it really was. Uh, thanks. Well, so are, will you, are you down to come on again? Oh, hell yeah. Anytime. Sweet. Yeah, I'd love to. Talk movies. Yep. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, Oscars come seasons coming up. So oh, yeah, there we go. One. Gross. All right. <laughs> yeah, let's talk it. All right. Peace. Peace. Peace.